as we continue our study here in 2 Corinthians, as we get into chapters 8 and next week, chapter 9, Paul's going to deal with offerings that were being taken for those who are need in need there in Judea. Now, we're going to come around the teaching of money. And for some pastors, that's a really uncomfortable thing to talk about. I don't really care. You guys be, might be like, well, that's because you never talk about money. We actually talk about money quite a bit because the scriptures talk about it quite a bit. And we talk about it when it comes up in the scriptures. I believe God strikes a really good balance as we study the word of God to what's needed. Now, as we consider this this morning, the question comes up, okay, Paul, why Judea? You're a missionary to the Gentile world, but we need to remember back there, those first believers who were in the region, they were Jewish people, okay? They would have been victims of a social and economic uh, ostracism here, uh, religious excommunication, and really a, a national disinheritance. Think about what was going on, okay? They were being persecuted, we as Jews, we don't believe that this Jesus was our Messiah. Well, you Christians, you're in rebellion, not just to us, but also to Rome, because Caesar is Lord, and you're saying Jesus is Lord. So any business ventures that they would have wanted to do collapsed. A lot of family ties were broken, severed. Can you guys put yourselves in their shoes for a moment, what they were going through? And really, it's the same reason that we have hearts for those who are downtrodden. So the Corinthian church said that they would share in the collection, but they had neglected to do so. So Paul reminds them in this chapter of their promise and also teaches them some really great principles for giving that are very applicable for you and I as believers this morning. So we're going to take a look, a simple outline. We're going to look at being a giver, okay, to give liberally, to finish it thoroughly, and to administrate it uh, honorably. So let's take a look at verse 1 together. Moreover, brethren, we make it known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches in Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with such urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 
So Jesus, I love this passage of scripture, guys. God has a lot to say when it comes to stewardship when we read the scriptures. Do you guys know that one-third of the parables, and there's a lot of them in the Gospels, a third of them, Jesus spoke to stewardship. Okay, so this is pretty important to God. And he's speaking about our time and our talents and our treasures. Now, Paul is referring to those in Macedonia, okay? This isn't a city, but it's a region there that covered Greece. And you guys know that south of Greece, we have Egypt. And a little, you know, to the uh, east there, we have Israel. So this is part of where Paul went and did missions work. Some of the cities were Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, just to name a few. But I want to draw our attention to verse 2 for a moment. It says, In great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. You think money would come from the wealthy churches? And that could easily afford to be supporting and giving in such a way. But that's not the case for these in Macedonia. Okay, They were physically afflicted, really financially washed out personally. A little bit of background to this. The Romans had taken all their silver and gold, their minas, okay, took it all, the tax and the copper, the iron smelting, canceled the right to cut down trees uh, for a ship, for building homes or whatever. And they fought several wars right there in the Macedonian soil. So they were really bankrupt. But through their great trials, they still gave with an abundance of joy. Did you guys catch what Paul is saying here? They had it rough, but they still helped. With their deep poverty, they still abounded in riches of their liberality. Now look at verse 3 with me. You guys might be like, hey, why is Free Willie up here? Well, look at verse 3. For I bear witness to according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Okay? That's where we get it from. Nobody thinks that cool? I thought it was good. How many of you guys have seen Free Willie? All right, for you haven't, repent. Paul here, guys, is telling them, if you don't give, my ministry was going to go off the air. No, that's not what he's saying at all, right? I love how Paul addresses this. There's no prompt or pressure that came from Paul to them at all, okay? They were freely willing. You guys catch what he says here? Okay, the Greek word, if you look it up, is really cool because it's only used here and then again in verse 19, which is, or sorry, 17, which in 17 it's translated of his own accord. So this is a very cool word that she used. Hey, it's our choice. We're totally free in making this choice. We're not pressured. It is our choice to want to help to do this. So not only did they have not to beg the churches in Macedonia to give, but actually the opposite is true according to verse 4. Look at it. okay, Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift in the fellowship of the ministry or ministering of the saints. So the churches there in Macedonia begged. They were imploring Paul, take our money, please. They need help. 
I want to share with you guys, uh, George Sweeting said this, For the Macedonian Christians, giving was not a chore, but a challenge. Not a burden, but a blessing. Giving was not something to be avoided, but a privilege to be shared. So it all really starts here, guys, at verse 5. Okay, And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So when you give yourself totally to the Lord, okay, you're offering your time, you're offering your talents, and you're offering your treasure. Okay, It's lock, stock, and barrel. It's the whole nine yards. It's the whole enchilada. Okay, It's everything. Do you guys like this one at least? Okay, good. Thank you. So after a great gathering of Christian youth, an offering had been counted. And at the bottom of the offering, the counters found a picture of a teenage girl. And they made the same immediate assumption. Some boy had taken the girl's wallet and put the picture in the offering basket as some kind of practical joke. Then someone turned the picture over and there was something written on the back. I have nothing to give, but I give myself. Let that be said of us here at Freedom Fellowship, guys. We're all in, guys. It's not, Lord, you just get part. All of me. I'm yours. Whatever. It's all yours. So if you have an open heart, you will have an open hand. And be assured, if you have a problem giving with a tight fist, the problem's deeper than your wallet. There's something else going on. So starting strong, but fizzling fast, according to verse 6. Read with me. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So Paul now touches on the issue that he has with the Corinthian church. That they started strong, but they fizzled fast. Okay? I've been guilty of that, guys. You see, they needed to complete what they started. So unlike those Macedonian churches that were in deep poverty, the Corinthian church was actually flourishing. They actually were rich. Okay? They had the ability. Now, according to verse 5, it says, But... As you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So Paul says to you guys, abound, thrive in so many things. You're doing awesome, but yet you are out of balance, is what he is saying. Like the churches in Revelation, right? See, if you have one loose spoke, guys, it's going to throw the whole wheel off, right? So they're to be abounding. Not one of these is a substitute for grace giving, guys, but abounding, okay? It didn't carry over into their giving. So how balanced is your giving? Are you committed to giving as much as you are to Bible study? in prayer, in worship? Would it be fair to say that your checkbook, your, your treasure, really is where your heart is also? 
If we looked at a checkbook or your checking account, your credit card statement, does it reveal a true walk with the Lord? Because our checking really does announce what our treasure is. What if we had a little checkup this morning? I asked you guys to pull up your checking account and show the person next to you. What would they be able to tell you about your life? Would they say, yeah, this person, I know where their treasure is. It is in the Lord. Or not. What would we glean from that? Anything that you'd be embarrassed of or by. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can deceive ourselves. I'm a giver. Our hearts are deceptive. Look at the facts. Are you really a giver or not? And don't be misunderstanding according to verse 8. Check it out. Paul says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So he's testing. You might not like these questions I just asked, but we need to be tested. We need to see. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Paul's not demanding here. He's just reminding. That's what he's doing. So he reminds them of one who was far richer than them that was truly a giver. Yet be cautious how you test someone's sincerity. Okay, We need to be careful in that. There's a story I love about Charles Spurgeon and his wife. They would sell... Um, but they would always refuse to give away freely their eggs from their chickens. Even close relatives, they would say, hey, you guys, you need to pay for these if you want our eggs. As a result, some labeled the Spurgeons as being greedy and grasping. They accepted the criticism without defending themselves. And only after Mrs. Spurgeon died that the whole story came out. You see, all the profits of the sales from those eggs all those years went to support two local elderly widows. All the money went to help them because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what their right hand was doing. That's Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. They, inter- they endured this attack from all these people saying all these things. So we got to be very careful, Okay. So Paul, he uses two examples for Corinth here. First, from their deep poverty, okay, from that end of the scale to the far richest of the rich, okay, who were exceedingly, the Fortune 500 guys, okay? Maybe he was an oil sheik, who knows? Jesus himself, right? Look at verse 9. Check out what he says here, okay? Jesus going rich to poor to rich. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Right? So Jesus, he's the wealthiest person ever. Do you guys know that? Why? Because it's all his. Everything is his. Job 41.11 says, Everything under heaven is mine. Well, isn't that the Father speaking? Yeah, it's God the Father. But you guys also know in John 3.35, Jesus said the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand, right? And yet he emptied himself. 
taking the form of a bondservant and being in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the Macedonians, they were poor. And they gave like they were rich. I love that. And I've experienced that and seen that firsthand. Some of the people that are the biggest givers are the ones often with the least. Jesus was rich, but he lived like he was poor, guys. Both provided great examples for us. So whatever your financial situation, we have biblical examples. I think it's cool. Both provide great examples for us to really follow Christ to be more like him. Because God is a giver by nature. Do you guys know that? He's just a giver. Gives good gifts to his kids. He loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son. Though he was rich here, guys, it is usually the poor that help the poor. But we need all to see as God sees and to help as he asks us to help. Haven't we seen or heard someone in need and we purpose to do something about it, but once the need's out of sight, they're out of sight, it's out of mind, right? We just move on. Maybe it's helping a homeless person. I'm going to swing in at the next light, grab some food for them, and then bring it back because they're in need. But I couldn't get over into the next lane. Oh, must be the will of God for me not to help them. I couldn't get over Isn't it so easy for us to get sidetracked, guys? Maybe I'm going to sponsor a child in need or a family in a third world country. And we get home and that burden changes. I put it this way. He who was very rich became very poor. So the spiritually poor could become spiritually rich. So finish it thoroughly. Let's move on to verse 10 here. And in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to one or what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now, or no, or sorry, now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. And as I, it is written, he who granted or gathered much and nothing left over, and he who gathered little, they had no lack. So we need to just do it, guys. As we consider verses 10 and 11 here, complete what you begun. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church. Okay, How many of us don't complete our financial obligations? Okay, I wonder if you ask Mark uh, Krambekam of Feed My Starving Children or Santiago Milado of Compassion International just how many people 
who sponsor a child or a family or a cause end up actually sticking with it. Now, there might be good reason for someone to stop, and I'm not ruling that out at all, guys, but I wonder how many make commitments without really counting the cost or did it out of emotions, okay? I saw a video and pictures, and I was moved by the testimony, right? But then the commitment changes when you actually sit down to write out that check because you have all your other bills there that need to get paid also sitting in front of you. So to be willing, that's the point here. Look at verse 12 again with me. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one does, and not according to what he does not have. So God does not judge guys according to what a man uh, has not the opportunity to do, but according to what he does when he does, okay? If you have an opportunity, and what if you had it? What would you do in it? I think of that widow's might. You guys can jot down Mark 12, 44. They gave out of their wealth. Hey, cool, look how much they gave. But she, out of her poverty, she put everything, all that she had to live on, okay? God looks at the heart, doesn't he? That's what It's not a matter of how much we actually give. He's looking at our heart's intent in it, which I'm looking so forward to getting into chapter 9 next week because God really speaks to that. Um, so what's going on here? Do we have a Rob Peter to pay Paul? <laughs> what do we do with 13 and 14 here, okay? He wasn't trying to rob Peter to pay Paul at all, okay? But we see in verse 15 that God is really the great equalizer, okay? Look at this again. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. That comes from Exodus chapter 16, verse 18, okay? So this really is um, God's heart, his teaching, Okay, and this is coming around, referring to the manna in the wilderness. Okay, God gave to all. He's the great equalizer. Right now, the church may be down in Jerusalem. They need help. They're going through it. And you need to help them, Corinthians. And maybe one day the sandal is going to be on the other foot. <laughs> and they might help you. Okay, That's the heart of God. You see a need. You see a brother in need, what do you do? You do something. Now, wrapping up this chapter, <clears throat> I love it because he talks about finances and this money, how to administrate it, administrate it honorably. So let's take a look at verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. 
providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, who we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. And if anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. So in this last section here, do you guys catch that Paul points out two very important things when it comes to church finances? Okay, that we need good quality people, okay, in high quality accounting practices. So how many church workers have lost their testimony because they misuse funds or carelessly handle the Lord's money? We see that all the time. I'm going to confess again, I was on YouTube too much this last week for one purpose, but you guys ever find yourself, you're looking into something and a whole bunch of other recommendations come up. And there is a very well-known pastor who's been misusing money and the whole documentary is going to be coming out and exposed. And my heart was just broken once again. I'm just like, wow, everybody knows this man. And the church sealed all the financials. Nobody had a clue what was going on. If you're a member of the church, you weren't allowed to look at him. My heart just sunk. I'm like, bummer, another stain on the church. So I'm not going to watch the document. You guys ever get to a point you're just sick of it? You're just sick of it. But that's why God speaks these things to us. We could look at this chapter. What does this have to really do with my life? No, God cares about people. He cares about us helping people. He cares about us being faithful in giving and helping others. And he cares about the church being accountable. You need good people in place. You need good practices in place. This is important for you guys. And we take the word of God serious. We take the Lord's money serious because it's his money. So the key really is to leave no opportunity for accusations. We need to protect all those who are working with finances. Okay, The church is not a business, but we need to run it in a business-like manner for that accountability. So again, good quality people. And we see here that Paul appointed three men, Titus and two other guys that are not named. We don't know really who they are. But I want you to catch their credentials. Did you catch that as we read through in verse 1? Okay, Titus had earnest care. Verse 16, a willing heart of his own accord in verse 17. One of the other brothers was chosen by the churches in verse 19. Diligent in verse 22. Partner and fellow worker in 23, in the second part of 23, all glory to Christ. So high-quality accounting practices are needed, guys. So accountability number one, it is your money we are investing into God's kingdom here at Freedom. That is our understanding. The elders understand this. We as a church understand this biblically, okay, And we want to be wise with what we do as a church family with our money to be good stewards, to be careful stewards in what we do. 
And the second thing, accountability, right? God's watching how we spend his money. So, verse 24, Paul closes by saying, Show your love. Show your love. Prove it. Put your money where your mouth was, Corinthians. So, when we purpose in our heart what God is asking us to do, we do it. So here at Freedom Fellowship, guys, our books are always open. If any of you guys are a part of our church family, you can ask at any time, hey, I'd like to see the financials. I want to know what's going on with our money. What's going in, what's going out, what we have spent money on. That's always open to you guys. If you ever want to see any of our books, you can ask any one of the elders or Wes. He took over accounting, all the paper end and that stuff this last year. You can ask any one of us. Um, but here we sit, 2024. It's been really cool to see God's faithfulness towards our church over the years. One thing I really do believe is that we've stewarded what God has given to us over the years to the best of our ability. There's times where we want to do more, but hey, God hasn't provided in that way. But he has provided this. What are we going to do? We will pray. We will be the best stewards we can be. Um, <clears throat> I think God's really honored that over the years. Um, as we enter 2024, we got a new budget for the year. We were about 10000 short this last year of our budget. So what we did is we adjusted our budget the best we could. We brought about down about 12000 this next year. And in that, how can we steward what we're projecting will be our budget? So you guys can pray about that in your part in that. But overall, guys, we want to hold each other accountable. We want to be good stewards with what God has given us, not just personally, but collectively as a church family. And that's one thing that I love throughout the book of Acts, throughout the scriptures, how God used believers to come alongside the needs, like the church here, okay, in Judea. They were in need. And we've seen that throughout history. And that's one thing I'm really looking forward to getting into with you guys going through the school of ministry is we're going to take a few weeks going through church history. And as we go through church history, there's going to be a common thread throughout all the centuries. When there was a need, it was God's people who showed up. And do you guys know if the rapture would happen today, if God would come and take his church, our country would be in trouble. The poor and needy would be hurting. Because you look at the bulk of the nonprofits, those who are serving those most in need, are mostly faith-based organizations. Although we're being told we need bigger government to take care of everything, no, that's our job as the church. Do you guys understand that? God has asked us to take care of the poor, to be mindful. We're not about building a big church, okay? We're about doing what God's asked us to do, and we want to be good stewards with that. And God does honor that. And I think about... I hope, Mom, next week maybe you would share on the pantry. We're going to be celebrating 14 years of serving our community. I think in the next week or two, we started later January. Um, but God's been faithful, and we've been really cool uh, to see just how he has allowed us to be wise stewards in really serving um, thousands and thousands of families over the years right here. And that's just a smart part. That's in our own backyard. 
But we're going to be talking a little bit more about this next week. I want to give you homework in reading chapter 9 because it really does go together with what Paul has laid out before us here this morning in chapter 8. So I want to end with this thought, guys. When you come to the end of your life, the question's going to be, <clears throat> how much have you given? It's not going to be how much did you get. You guys know that? We don't take our stuff with us. Store up treasures in heaven. What did we give? And it's easy, guys. Giving will not be a hard thing if you've done one gift. And that's God. <laughs> My life is yours. If you've given yourself to him, all other giving is not an issue. So, Father, it's, it's hard not to want to give all of ourselves to you. Because we understand we're not ignorant of what your word says. There was a great price that you gave for each and every one of us. You lay down your life that we may be rich. And you've given us your Holy Spirit. You are now at home with us and in us. God, you're transforming us. You're making us more like you. And the reality of being more blessed in giving, God, we see that reality. We know it's true. We know your heart. We know your concern for those that are in need. And I do pray and ask, Lord, that you would teach us, continue to grow us in generosity. And more than anything, Father, give us eyes to see what the needs really are, that we'd be able to use our time and our talents and our treasures all for your glory. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.